If you got your Bible, open it with me this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 9. <coughs> and I will catch up to you there in a moment. But I want you to go ahead and find a place there in Acts 9. <coughs> I'm going to make a pit stop in Acts 4 in just a moment. I don't know if you've ever heard of Zig Ziglar before. He's a motivational speaker. But he tells a story or used to tell a story about Belgian horses and how powerful they are and how if they're trained to work together, they can produce more power and more force uh, than any one individual horse could by itself. Now, if you've ever seen a Belgian horse, you know that these are big, massive animals. (coughs) In fact, one of them can pull 8,000 pounds by themselves. But what's interesting about these horses is if you put two Belgian horses together and you have them work at the same time, they don't just double the amount they can pull to 16,000 pounds is what you might think. They actually triple it to 24,000 pounds. What's amazing is if you spend some time and you train those horses and you work with them, uh, all of a sudden they can pull 32,000 pounds. That's the amazing power that happens when they work together. And and when they're really trained, they can even quadruple the amount of power that they have as a team. When I think about there's a word for that. It's called synergy. How many of you have heard the word synergy before? It's when the forces come to work together and what they produce is not additional power, but it's multiplied power. They're able to do more together than what they could alone. And that story that he told reminds me that people need healthy relationships too. I want to talk to you this morning about three men in the Bible that represent three different relationships that every one of us need to have in our lives. Every one of us need to have these three. So I would encourage you to take the insert that you have in your bulletin. On the back it has a place for sermon notes. And maybe write these three down as I share them with you today. And allow the Holy Spirit to lead you out of this place to cultivate these relationships. Because really this is not the kind of message that just uh, ask for a response in this moment. But the application is what you do with it from here. And the first point of this three-point message is this. Be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. I'll catch up with you in Acts 9 in a moment, but let me show you in Acts 4 where we meet this man named Barnabas. The word says in verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles call Barnabas, which means... Son of encouragement. He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now this guy Barnabas was so well known for his personality as being an encourager that they nicknamed him Barnabas. His real name was Joseph. Most of us don't even know that probably in the church. If I said we're going to study the missionary journeys of Paul and Joseph... A lot of Christians wouldn't know who I'm talking about because he goes down in the uh, annals of, of biblical history as Barnabas. He was so well known as a son of encouragement that that's who we know him as. And in this story, all the believers had come together to Jerusalem. Revival had started on the day of Pentecost. And so some of the believers were bringing gifts 
and they were helping to meet the needs of others. Joseph, Barnabas, gave an extravagant gift to help meet the needs of other believers. But I want to emphasize today that not just how uh, generous he is in his resources, but how he is in his relationships. I want you to be inspired by this man today to be a Barnabas. Acts chapter 9, are you there? I just asked a question. Are you there? Okay, this is one of those churches. You can say that out loud, okay? That's okay. You can just talk back to me. In fact, it'll give me a chance to cough. So, can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) See how we work together? Acts chapter 9 begins this way. It says that, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the church. That's important context to have. And as you go through this story, let me just tell you the part that maybe most of us are familiar with. That Paul, who was called Saul, was on the Damascus road. He was heading from Jerusalem to Damascus because he wanted to persecute Christians there. He wanted to arrest them and drag them into prison. That's the journey that he's on. When he sees a great light, he meets Jesus on the road. Jesus knocks him down off of his religious high horse. And there he is physically in the middle of the road, face down. He's blinded and he has a he has a vision of Jesus who says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In that moment, he gets saved, radically changed. He gets up, now a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, and he keeps going to Damascus. And then he starts preaching in Damascus. Can you imagine? All The word has already got there. People know about what happened in Jerusalem. People know this guy, Saul, is coming to Damascus, and he's going to wreak havoc on the church. But when he gets there, he starts trying to preach the Christ and tell people how to get saved. So here he is in Damascus and he's preaching. Now some people, they were convicted, they were cut to the heart, and they got saved. Other people were thinking, this is a setup. How many of you would be in that camp? You're like, yeah, right. We've seen posters of this guy's face at the grocery store. Like, this is a scam. And so the Bible says in verse 23, some of the Jews there wanted to kill him. But some of the people that had believed his message secretly hid him away in a basket and lowered him down over the wall by night. So now he's going to go back to Jerusalem. And this is where you're going to pick it up with me in verse 26. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But... Barnabas. You see that in verse 27? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Let me just tell you this morning, Barnabas is the kind of guy you want to have for a friend. I mean, this, is a, this is a guy that doesn't hold your past against you. This is a guy that believes in what you can be, what you could be, what you should be, not what you used to be. How many of you need some friends like that in your life? Amen. My hand is up. Barnabas was one of those guys that believed in Paul. Now, that's different than, than somebody that just gets along with you because you have commonalities or similarities. That's different than an acquaintance. This is a person that is willing to be your friend. This is true friendship. Barnabas encouraged Paul to keep going, even when all the leaders of the church in Jerusalem were afraid of him. They said, man, we don't know what to do with this guy. 
Barnabas believed in Paul when nobody else believed in him. And I want to tell you today, you need to be a Barnabas for somebody. There's somebody that God has put in your life that if you don't go after them, if you don't encourage them, maybe nobody else will. But by the grace of God, you've seen their potential. You know that there's something inside of them that can be cultivated and pulled out. And if you're not Barnabas to them, they may never fulfill their God-given potential. Don't be scared off by their failures, but encourage them towards what God has put in their life. In Acts chapter 9, after it, it had already got so intense in Damascus that they tried to kill him, and he runs back to Jerusalem. The Bible says just a few verses later in the same chapter, there were Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem. They tried to kill him too. And so the religious leaders said, you know what? This guy's just not worth the hassle. And so they decided what they're going to do is they're going to give Paul an assignment about a 100 miles away. Like, hey, we got a job for you. Basically, they wanted to sweep him under the rug. They thought, this guy is too much of a headache. We can't use him. He's, he's stirring up trouble. And so they sent him over a 100 miles away to get him out of their hair. So here's Paul. So far away, he's, he's doing next to nothing to advance the gospel. And these guys, they have no idea that the man they just shipped off is going to go to right over half of the New Testament. They had no idea what the potential of this man was. But jump forward to Acts chapter 11. Thank God for Barnabas. <clears throat> In Acts 11, look at verse 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them... However, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and they began to speak to the Greeks, telling them also the good news about the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Revival is now in Antioch and they sent him as a capable leader. Verse 23 says, when he arrived and he saw that the grace, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now here's a biography of Barnabas, a guy you ought to try to be like. Verse 24 says, he was a good man. He was full of the spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25 says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now this amazes me. You remember the first verse we just read there, back in, in verse 19, it says that people had scattered to this area of Antioch because of the persecution that broke out in Jerusalem when Stephen was murdered. All you Bible scholars are kind of going back in your mind, and, and you remember who was instigating Stephen's murder. It was Saul. He was the one inciting the riot. And all of the Christians got scared and they scattered as far as Antioch. But here we are so many uh, months later and Barnabas is in Antioch and God's doing a great work and people are being saved. And he goes, man, you know who would be good at ministry here? Saul. And he goes hundreds of miles away and he finds Saul and he brings him all the way back and he gives him a place to serve and he allows him to teach. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 
26. And when he found him, Saul, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and they taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. (coughs) This is a son of encouragement. This guy is an encourager. I want to tell you this morning, to to be a Barnabas means to not be a fair-weather friend. It means your friendship with people is not stipulated by your own conveniences. Like, well, it works out for me. Listen, there are some people that you need to go out of your way for. God's put them in your life to be a Barnabas, to encourage them, to help them see their God-given potential. For Paul... Barnabas was one of those people that the Holy Spirit had placed in his life for mutual encouragement. That Paul would encourage Barnabas and that Barnabas would encourage Paul. The Bible says in Acts 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. As you read from there, the next few chapters, Paul and Barnabas, by the Holy Spirit, are called to work together, to walk together. They serve together. They teach together. They go through highs and lows together. In fact, it's Barnabas who is there at what was supposed to be Paul's deathbed. In Lystra, the Bible says he was stoned and dragged outside the city, left for dead. But soon enough, his co-workers, including Barnabas, gathered around him. God raised him back up, and they went right back into the city and kept preaching. To be Paul's friend was an inconvenience. Everywhere he went, there was one of two options, revival or a riot. No in-betweens. <clears throat> Not just going to hang out and have coffee with Paul. But Barnabas was committed to mutual edification in his life. He was close to him. I want to ask you this morning, who is God put in your life that you can walk with and encourage the way that Paul was encouraged by Barnabas? God is calling every one of us today to be a Barnabas. It's a relationship that we have to develop and cultivate in our lives. But it's not the only relationship that's critical. The second one is this. You need to pursue a Paul. Now, when we learn about Paul, we see him as a new convert who's radical and wet behind the ears, but he doesn't stay that way. Paul gets mature in the Lord fast. He becomes the the most significant Christian in the history of the church, the most impactful missionary that's ever lived. Not only did Paul have the greatest influence on the growth of the church, Paul was also very influential in the life of individual people. And so when I say pursue a Paul, Paul represents a spiritual mentor in your life. To pursue Paul means to seek out somebody that's going to pour into you. When you get around them, you become a better version of yourself. Somebody that's going to impart their wisdom and their experience into your life. The thing about Paul is he recognized his influence. In fact, at one place in scripture, he said, I urge you to imitate me. Now, he wasn't perfect. And other times he admitted that. He said, I'm I'm not perfect. But he also recognized the the power of influence, and he said, imitate me. 
He represents the kind of person that, that you can pattern your life after. The person that will guide you, not just with their uh, lips, but with their life as well. Plenty of people that can tell you you're doing it wrong and tell you you should do it a different way. But pursue a Paul, somebody that will show you the way to go and not just tell you the way to go. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. He said, follow my example as I follow Christ. Follow me. You need somebody you can follow in your life. <clears throat> the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16 that Paul met a young man named Timothy. He was on his second missionary journey, and the Bible says he went to Lystra to pick up this young man, Timothy. And what he learned about him was that Timothy had a God-fearing mother and a God-fearing grandmother. And all the people spoke highly of him. But we also learned that Timothy's father was a Greek, and we have no indication from Scripture that he was a godly man. But Paul, when he meets this young man, immediately he's drawn to him. In fact, the Bible says in verse 3 that Paul wanted to take Timothy with him on the journey. And immediately they connected. <coughs> and so Timothy begins to walk with Paul. He begins to do life with him. He begins to do ministry with him and follow his example. And by walking with Paul, he learned what the ministry was supposed to look like. Listen to these words that Paul gave Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, he encouraged him. He said, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, <coughs> my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. He's trying to encourage a young man in the faith. And he said, you, you know where I've been. You know what I've been through. I allowed you into my life so that you could see how I handled the difficult situations. Now, looking down at verse 14, he said, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. <coughs> this, is, this is one of the final words that Paul's going to give to Timothy. He's writing from a prison and he'll die there. And he writes these words and he says, listen, stay faithful to what you learned from those you knew. You know, it's funny this morning, this wasn't in my notes, but we had a conversation with some people in the church that went to a meeting and they heard something preached that was kind of uh, off biblically. And this verse came right to my mind. Paul says, here's what you need to do. You need to stay faithful to those you learned from, those you've walked with. Not somebody in a slick suit from out of town. Follow the people that will let you pursue their life. Not just tell you how to live, but show you how to live. There's a trap. The Bible says, in the last days many will come. Seeking people that will preach a gospel that tickles their ears. And people will be deceived. I cannot tell you, there's never been a more important time to be a part of the local church. Because look, I mean, if I get it wrong, i got to live with you. I ain't going anywhere. I mean, you can knock on my door and be like, Pastor, I looked that up. You are out of your mind. So Paul says to Timothy, hey, stick with who you learned from. Don't be discouraged by all the stuff you're hearing out there. And Timothy was hearing a lot of crazy doctrine. Paul said, stay faithful to what you learned. If you're serious about fulfilling your God-given purpose, you will pursue 
of Paul. That's what Joshua did. You know, we, we know Joshua as the one who stood and parted the waters of the Jordan River and crossed over into the promised land and conquered Jericho, led the nation of Israel. But before he did that, he had to pursue his mentor. He followed Moses. <coughs> you remember Moses, that man that would go out to the tent of meeting and he would meet with God. And the Bible says in Exodus 33 that when Moses would go to the tent of meeting, all the people would stand at the door of their own tent. And all the people would wait and Moses would go in and a pillar of cloud would come down and settle on his tent. And all the people would worship while Moses was in there. And there's a verse that we often refer to the first half of that speaks of this moment where Moses is having this incredible counter encounter with God. It's in Exodus 33 verse 11 and it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And we read that and go, man, that's awesome. What a relationship Moses had. But look at the rest of that verse. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. How do you think Joshua learned how to hear from God? How do you think he learned how to lead the whole nation? How do you think he had the leverage to cross over and win the battle that Moses couldn't win? Because he pursued his mentor into the very presence of God. If you're serious about what God has for your life, you need to pursue a mentor. That's what Elisha did. He was following Elijah. You remember the story? He was following his mentor, Elijah, in 2 Kings chapter 2. And three different times, Elijah says to him, you stay here, i got to go over there. And Elisha says to Elijah, I know those names are close, I'm not stuttering. Elisha says to Elijah, wherever you go, I'm going. I'm staying with you. And so he goes to the first place, and it's Bethel. And when he gets there, there's a school of prophets, and the prophets say, Elisha, do you know that the Lord is going to take Elijah from you? He said, yeah, I know, don't talk about it. And Elijah says, stay here, I'm going to the next place. I'm going to Jericho. And Elisha says, I'm going with you. And when they get there, there's a school of prophets. And those prophets prophesy. And they say, do you know that God is going to take Elijah from you? He said, yes, I do. Be quiet. And he says, well, I'm leaving. I'm going to Bethel. You stay here in Jericho. And Elisha says, look, where you go, I'm going. I'm staying with you. And he goes with him to Bethel, the house of God. Once again, people tell him, did you know that... God's going to take Elijah from him. He said, yes, I know, but don't talk about it. Finally, Elijah turns to him and he says, look, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? And here's what he says, 2 Kings chapter number 2 and verse 9. When they had crossed over, Elijah said, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. You have asked a difficult thing. Elijah said, yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it'll be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Look at the next verse. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. 
I love that that verse emphasizes that it happened as they were walking along and talking. Can I tell you, that's where you get the influence from your mentor. It's not from listening to a man stand on a platform and preach to you. It's walking and talking. Jesus never said, come to my crusade. He said, come and follow me. Is anybody hearing me this morning? If you're going to pursue all that God has for you, you have to pursue the Paul that God has put in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone that you work with. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's one of your teachers. It may be your pastor. But I'm not talking about just hearing people that say things that inspire you. I'm talking about relationship. Joshua was close with Moses. He went to the tent with him. Timothy pursued Paul. He suffered with him. Elisha followed Elijah. If you want all that God has for you, you have to pursue your mentor. Back in 1997, I met my pastor. I was an 18-year-old kid, and I had just moved back to Pennsylvania. And he was pastoring Faith Outreach Center. Many of you know my, who I still consider my pastor, Joe Childs. And, and I got to know him as a young adult, and like Paul with Timothy, we just immediately connected. We, we, just, we just connected. And a couple years later in 1999, he invited me to join the church staff, and I had the opportunity to, to work with him and to, to learn from him on an even closer level. And, and I love those years of mentoring. I love being able to learn the ministry from him. But at the end of 2003... God called him to pastor a church in Mesquite, Texas. And so his family, they, they packed up and they went that way. And for the next nine months, I wrestled in my own spirit with what God's plan was in my life. <clears throat> I knew I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. But one thing that kept me unsettled through the next nine months was the reality that I felt like I wasn't finished learning from my mentor. I just felt like that was cut short, and I couldn't settle myself on the matter of doing anything else. So we prayed, and we waited, and we prayed, and we waited. And just like Chris and Val took these students last weekend to winter retreat, that summer in 2004, I took a group of students to the same campground for, for youth camp. And one night, that speaker was preaching a message. I don't even remember what his text was. I don't remember what Bible character he used, but he said something from the platform. And when he did, it was like a, a dart to my heart. He said, the passion of the protege is determined by their pursuit of their mentor. And when he said that, as fast as I could write it down, I began to pray. And God spoke to me in that moment. The passion of the protege is determined by their pursuit of their mentor. And I just felt a peace. I knew that we have to take a bold step. We have to follow our mentor. No sooner did I get back from that trip with those students that my pastor called me before I had a chance to call him. God had been working on the other end, as he often does. And he called me and he said, I don't, I don't know where you guys are at personally, but I could really use a worship pastor down here if you'd pray about coming. And I heard the Spirit speak again. And so we did. We had no other motivation to leave our family, our loved ones, our church, the church I was at for 16 years of my life, growing up there and then serving on staff. We had no motivation to want to go to Texas where I had no family and no friends except I had a Paul. 
And I had a word from God. And I pursued that word. And as most of you know, we spent 10 years serving, 10 more years serving under our lead pastors at that church in Mesquite, Texas, because God had put it in my heart to pursue my mentor. God has a word that he wants to speak to you, and it's lying in the heart of somebody else. You have to be intentional about relationships because we're better together. Just consider this morning who God might be calling you towards. Someone to mentor you. Someone to encourage you in what you're doing. A relationship that you need to go after. Here's what I've learned in in ministry. There's plenty of people that I saw potential in, but you can't lead somebody that won't follow you. There's plenty of young guys that I came along and I thought, man, I'm going to pour into them. They've got the gift of God. Man, they've got something that God wants to do. And they just wouldn't come after me. I felt like I was coming after them. It doesn't work that way. Jesus didn't say, come and let me follow you. They said, where are you going? Where are you staying? He said, come and see. But if you'll pursue your Paul, God will put an anointing in your life that they carry. That's why Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift of God that was in you at the laying on of my hands. He was confirming the reality that there's something you got in my presence from God. Not from me, but it came through me. There are people that God's put in your life for a purpose. You need to pursue a Paul. You need to be a Barnabas. The third thing is this. You need to train a Timothy. In Matthew chapter 28, the last few verses, they're very familiar to the church because they've come to be known as the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28. It begins with Jesus telling his disciples... In verse 18, that all power and authority is mine. And then it ends with this incredible promise that Jesus says, I'll be with you always to the ends of the earth. I mean, what what a, a beautiful bookend for the Great Commission. But right in the middle of it, Jesus gives these words. Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything, everything that I have commanded you. Now let me just explain something about this Great Commission. There's four main verbs in this commission. Go, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Four verbs in this commission. But in the original Greek language, one of these verbs is an imperative. It means it's the essential one. And the imperative one is make disciples. You got to go. It doesn't matter if you're going across the street or going across the globe. You got to go to make disciples. You got to baptize them. You got to teach them. But the imperative is that we make disciples. Jesus is telling his church that the most important thing that is first and foremost in our call, in our commission, is that we make disciples. That means that you, personally, are commissioned by God to train a Timothy. So I'm I'm not a teacher. It doesn't matter. You're a Christian. (coughs) This is what we've been called to do, to train a Timothy. You know, I can't tell you how many times in, in, in church leadership, I've said, personally, out of my own mouth, 
Man, I need more workers. The number one frustration of anybody that's leading a ministry in this church, bar none, is I need more volunteers. That's what people tell me over and over. I need more volunteers. Even today, we had people scurrying and, and, and shifting so that they could cover for somebody. And that is just the frustration. I need more volunteers. I want to tell you, if you're a leader in any capacity in the church, you need to begin finding Timothy. That needs to become your number one priority from here forward. More than anything else, you need to find Timothy, because if you're fulfilling your call in ministry and you're doing it alone, you're not fully fulfilling your call. Your obedience to the Great Commission is the solution for the lack of workers. Your obedience to make disciples is the solution. The problem is we're here saying, God, send people, send people. And God's saying, I did send them, train them. Raise them up, equip them, resource them, release them, let them do the work. But you know what our problem is? We're not searching for Timothy. We're searching for Barnabas. We want somebody that's fully mature, somebody that knows how to do it, that's done it before, somebody that's going to encourage us and we're going to encourage them. We don't don't want to slow down for somebody that's not at the level we are. And so we're searching for Barnabas when what we ought to be doing is looking for Timothy. Train a Timothy. All of us. And this this is not just for the church. This goes right to your home. We have a responsibility. Nobody else is going to train your kids for you. Amen? It's a mistake of our culture to think the school system is going to fix the dysfunction of the home. It's never going to happen. You can blame the teachers. You can cut salaries. You can raise salaries. You can hold accountability with standardized testing. It doesn't matter. The school can't fix the dysfunction of the home. We have a responsibility to train our Timothys. There's people around you that God wants to use. He's waiting for somebody to tap them on the shoulder. We can't be so consumed with our own pursuit of Paul or our own fellowship with Barnabas that we overlook Timothy. There's a pattern of healthy ministry. I want to show you one more scripture. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul is writing to his protege. And he gives us a window of what it looks like to do this right as the people of God. Chapter 2 and verse 2 says this. And the things that you have heard me say, Paul writes, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also... Be qualified to teach others. That's why I'm in the ministry. Because Paul taught Timothy. And Timothy took what had been given to him and he entrusted it to reliable people who were also then qualified to teach others. Who also entrusted it to reliable people who were then qualified to teach others. Who then entrusted that gospel to reliable people. You get where I'm going. We're not here having this service if we don't follow this pattern. This is God's strategy, not man's. We need to train a Timothy. Can I tell you, every need in the body of Christ has an equal gift that's already been given by the Spirit to meet that need. I can say that with confidence. God doesn't ask anything of us that He doesn't equip us to accomplish. 
So if there's something being undone, it's because there's a Timothy that hasn't been trained up or a Paul that hasn't been sought out and beloved by a friend. I want to tell you today, this message is absolutely for every person. Regardless of where you're at in life, everybody needs these three people in your life. (coughs) If you're going to fulfill your purpose. But here at the close of this message, I I want to tell you practically how we as a church are going to facilitate this. Because I believe this is God's plan for us as a church. So I want to kind of take a turn here before we close in prayer. And I want to cast a little vision for something we've been praying about doing here in 2017. A part of our our heart for being better together. <clears throat> now our vision statement, that maybe you've seen it, our mission statement on our church website, you've heard me say it before, is leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's what we're called to do. And I'm convinced that we are better together at leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. We're going to lead people towards Christ-exalting relationships. We're going to lead people towards Christian community, towards fellowship in Christ. (coughs) And the way we want to shine a spotlight and and magnify the importance of that is in March, we're going to launch a follow-up series to Better Together. We're going to launch another series that's going to follow this series. But it's not going to be a series that you hear by sitting in straight lines and listening to me preach. It's going to be a series that is a conversation that we share together in circles. And so what we're wanting to do in March is we're going to take three Sundays... Every other Sunday night, starting March 5th. And we're going to gather together with other believers. And Chris and I are putting some resources together that every, every group will have that will just instigate the conversation about doing life better together. And the challenge for all of us will be together in that context, in a relational context, and to let the Word of God speak to our hearts about what it means to be a Book of Acts church. <clears throat> so you see the dates there. I want you to make note of them. It's still a little ways out. But as we plan and prepare for this, what I want you to see is that we're doing this on Sunday for a reason. Look, we have an evening service. And we love to come together on Sunday nights. But I understand everybody's schedule is busy. And I want you to know this matters Enough to us. It matters so much that we're not asking you to give us another night of the week. Sunday is the Lord's day. And we want to carve out time on Sunday to say this is the way we're going to grow stronger and better together as a church. And so I want you to pray about it and and push past the, the, the personal inclination to just... Stay to yourself and and not get out of your bubble and to deal with the awkwardness of talking with folks you don't usually talk to. Because honestly, (coughs) you may be fine, but you need to be a Barnabas to somebody else because you're called to it. And some of you, you need a mentor in your life. You need to pursue a Paul. They might be sitting right down the road from you. 
They might be here, the person that's going to speak into your life and encourage you and lead you, but it's not going to happen because the pastor won't stop talking. It's got to happen somewhere else. It's not going to happen here. So you got to be a Barnabas for somebody. you got to pursue a Paul. And maybe you're at a stage in your relationship with God where you can train a Timothy. <clears throat> and let me tell you what that stage is. Anywhere in your relationship with God, farther than somebody else. You don't wait till you've been saved for five years or ten years. If you got to meet Jesus last week, you can train somebody how to meet Him this week. We're all called to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. It doesn't mean we get to the finish line and say, I've, I've arrived, now I'll go back and help somebody else. No, we journey together. We walk together. And so we're going to emphasize this as a church family beginning March 5th. <coughs> and we're going we're gonna to ask God to, to lead us, not just in the sanctuary worship, but in investing in relationships. And I want to invite you to, to pray about it and commit to doing it. <coughs> truth is, if you're honest, and I'm not asking you to respond, but if you were honest with me today and with yourself, the truth is, there are many people in here that you would, you would have to admit, you know, outside of my own family, not counting your own family, I don't have any significant conversation with other Christians about my faith. I mean, I come to church, I do church in a crowd. Maybe, maybe you talk with your family around the table, but when's the last time that you gathered around the table or sat in a living room with other brothers and sisters in Christ and you talked about what God's doing in your life? You talked about the struggles that you're facing. When's the last time you confessed your sins one to another, so fulfilling the law of Christ? When's the last time you encouraged one another toward good works? For a lot of us, we just live in this isolation. And as much as social media is a falsehood about real friendship, sometimes the church is too. Because we're all in the same room doesn't mean we know each other's lives any more than all those friends on your Facebook page know what's going on in your heart. We only show people what we want them to see. And I'm appealing to you, let's take the filter off and let's do life. Because everything I read in the Gospels says that the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of them. Who gathered together. But it's going to take a push. Past our own comfort zone. Into what God has for us. And we're going to pray about that today. Before we do. I want to just. I want to say. Some of you are going to have to take two steps. Some of you are going to take one. Some of you I need to step farther. And you'd be willing to host one of those groups. We're going to invite you. If you say you know what. I'd be willing to host a group. I'd be willing to have people in my house. What does that look like? Well, we're not asking you to be a a teacher. We're not asking you to to be a Bible instructor. We're asking you to be a host. In fact, we're putting together uh, the curriculum on a DVD. So if you can host people in your house and you can push play and you can have a conversation, you're qualified. But still, we know that that's an inconvenience and it takes leadership and somebody's got to take initiative and And we don't want you to have any reason to not step into that if the Spirit leads you. And so (coughs) we're going to have a a life group leaders luncheon. A a lunch on February the 12th, right after the morning service. 
You can sign up for it after the service today. This is not a commitment. It's just saying, I'm interested. I'd like, I'd like to consider hosting people in my home for three Sunday nights in March and then the first Sunday night in April. I'd like to do that. Then we want you to sign up and come to that luncheon on February 12th where we can take about an hour and we'll have childcare available if you need it. But we can talk about what that looks like. <clears throat> Hear me, church. We're going to pray. You're Paul, that person that God's going to use to get you to the place he wants you to be, might be right here. Somebody needs you to be a Barnabas, to pursue them. Maybe they, maybe they missed a week. Maybe they missed three weeks. Maybe they're always on your mind and you've noticed they're never here. And you wonder why nobody's called them. You're their Barnabas. Don't ask the staff to be the church. Let's let the church be the church. And God's put people in your life to love and to go after. Be a Barnabas. And train a Timothy. I want to pray for you today. (coughs) Before I do, I want to read one last verse of Scripture. And we're going to put this (coughs) on the screen. It's Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. And it says, One who has unreliable friends, soon comes to ruin. Maybe you're here today and that's been your story. (coughs) You You don't have too many godly influences in your life. And maybe you don't have any friends here. It shouldn't come as a surprise to you that this verse is in there. Because <clears throat> you can testify. A person who has unreliable friends comes to ruin. But the next part of that verse says, But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Can I tell you who that verse is about? That verse is about Jesus. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And if you're here today and you heard this whole message about what we're to do as the body of Christ, but you don't even have a relationship with Christ, I want to tell you that's the friendship that you need. Before you leave today, I want to pray for you right now. And if you're here and you say, you know what? I didn't come today to make friends with people. I came to get saved. I, I need rescued. I don't need a buddy. I need a hero. And if that's you today, I want you to know Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he wants to walk with you, as the old song says, and talk with you and tell you you are his own. He loves you that much. So I want you to bow your head with me all over this room and I want to pray a prayer. (coughs) And I want to pray first for the one that's here that feels like they don't know God and you certainly wouldn't describe him as your friend. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would do what only your Spirit can do. And that's draw our hearts to you. Your word says nobody seeks God unless the Spirit draws them. So God, I'm so grateful that right now I'm I'm working in partnership with the Spirit of Jesus. This moment is not hinging on me finding the right words. It's hinging on our obedience to your voice. It's much louder, much more amplified than mine. It resonates in the hearts of men. You're calling us to salvation. 
If that's you today and Jesus is calling you, He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your Savior and your Lord. Don't put Him off. Don't reject Him another day. Right now, without, without any more waiting, just respond. If that's you and you say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I need Him to be my friend and my Savior. I need to experience His grace and His redemption today. Pastor, that's me. Would you just raise your hand so I know where you're at? Praise God. I want to pray for you. Anyone else with these two that have already raised their hand? (coughs) That's you today. You just want to pray a prayer and say, God, I need your grace. I need your grace. Thank you for being sensitive to the Spirit of God. Thank you for answering His call. (coughs) Now, church, I want us to all pray together. God, we open our hearts up to you right now. God, reveal to us, and maybe it's clear, but God, help us to not push off who it is that you've called us to be a Barnabas to. God, those that that we're supposed to encourage, those that we're supposed to walk with and journey with. God, I thank you for for the Barnabases in my life. I thank you for the text message that I got this morning at 845 from my best friend who said, I'm praying for you. Preach Jesus today. God, we all need people like that who think of us and pray for us and walk with us and encourage us, God. But we can't just wait. God, we've got to be a Barnabas. So put it on our hearts today, God. Who you want us to pursue and encourage and uplift. And God, show us who those mentors are in our lives. God, help us to prioritize our life. That our passion for you would be reflected in the pursuit of our mentor. That we would go after those people that make us live better and talk better and make us a better husband or a better wife. God, that we would pursue those people that make us more like Jesus. Father, today I pray that every one of us would feel a conviction about who the person is. Maybe they're younger, maybe they're not. Maybe they're older and just not as far along in their journey with you. But God, help us all to know who Timothy is in our life and to help us lead them into their God-given potential. And maybe one day for us, that Timothy will become a Barnabas. They'll grow strong in their faith. They'll become that person that we call out to in our time of need the same way Paul did with that young man. (coughs) Father, speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, speak to our hearts today. I want to invite you all over this room. Could we just stand for a few moments?